you all know that we have elementary aged kiddos, which means that we are on the bandwagon of Disney Plus in our house, which means that we sometimes see how a great movie not only is there for us, but also there with multiple sequels. In fact, I feel like the sequel is one of the most defining pieces of children's entertainment in the last number of years. Why create original stories when you can just revise them? Sometimes I feel like God could stand to take a cue from Disney. I mean, we've got this one book, this one story, and I don't know, a sequel could liven things up. A prequel could answer a bunch of our questions about what happens before creation. And could you just maybe detail some things some more? But instead, we only get this one book in our faith. We get this one story to understand and live into. We just have it. And I understand why sometimes we are ready to quit on the Bible. I think sometimes we just at least need to go on a break because we find that it's too confusing. There are so many things that aren't answered or addressed. There's so many things that are so old and ancient. It is a confusing book. Sometimes we want to quit on the story because there are people who say that there are authorities on it, and those people are jerks. And so what does it mean to say that we want to live out this story when what they're doing doesn't feel like how I want to live at all? And what does that even mean then for me as I come back to this book? Sometimes we want to quit on the story because it doesn't feel like it fits with our life or who we want to be. Maybe because, again, of that cultural distance, or maybe simply because we just aren't sure that God's way really leads to the life we want. And that trust layer that undergirds reading scripture, it just isn't there. And probably the list could go on. But the reality is, we just have this one story. And what we want to do as we begin a new series is consider how a particular theme runs through that story. And if we can understand that theme, we might better be able to re-enter it again. Now, most of you are aware that Curtis is something of a Bible nerd. He really likes learning about the Bible, especially from people who know what they're talking about. And it's why he's taken a whole lot of classes about it. It's why the bookshelves exist in my shed. And I thank God every day that those shelves can exist out there and not in my house. But the thing he likes most in learning about the Bible, it's not information for information's sake. What he likes the most, the thing he realized the first time he was in a Bible class as an undergrad, the thing that keeps him periodically scrolling through the book catalogs of publishing companies for what's coming next, you know, like a normal person, is that there are moments when a new understanding of a passage or a theme or a verse takes something that was confusing and all of a sudden it makes sense. It takes a question or a conflict or a tension or a discomfort and helps resolve it. And if you've ever had that kind of moment with the Bible, you know how it can give you this renewed sense of, wow, this really does all make sense. In my life, for example, I can recall my first Greek class in seminary, which is incidentally where I met Curtis. For several days a week, several hours a day, we learned ancient Greek. It was as fun as it sounds. But there was a day when our professor used an example from the book of Ephesians chapter 5, which is a section that talks about marriage. And it's a section then that some folks use to tell you that men are the spiritual leaders or the heads of a relationship, that women are always forever meant to be submissive, and all those kinds of things. It wasn't a position that I held at that point because of all the rest of the Bible, 
But this particular section of the book was still not entirely clear to me. And so we're in Greek when my professor explains that the verb in Ephesians 5.22 in English, the command submit, isn't actually there in that sentence. Instead, it's in Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then 5.22 about wives to husbands and later in the section about husbands back to wives, those flow out of the submitting to one another. And so you don't have to worry about geeking out on Greek on this one. Just know there was a moment where I realized the verb moved. The verb went up a sentence. It wasn't where I had been told that it was. It was a sentence earlier and it changed everything because all of a sudden this passage pointed to this value of mutual submission and that felt very much in alignment with the overall arc of scripture. It took this tension of this one passage and it resolved. I did incidentally then leave that morning session of Greek with my mind kind of blown and I was so encouraged, at which point Curtis asked me what I had been thinking. We were new friends and I spent the class break walking him through my entire argument for egalitarianism, which is just the fancy Bible term for believing that we are not defined by a gender role, but rather we're each to be ourselves in relationships that are formed by Christ. So I walk him through all of that. And he spends the second half of Greek kind of half tuned in, half tuned out. And at the end of class, he says, that makes sense. And that is how Curtis became egalitarian. And because Curtis became egalitarian, then I could fall in love with him. And then we could get married and live happily ever after, all because of Greek. Anyhow, what's really cool about these new understandings of the Bible is how they actually matter. They take the Bible from an irrelevant old book and they make it useful and life-giving. Reading the Bible well is a key factor that helps us follow Jesus well instead of following Jesus in cringy ways. Reading the Bible well is what helps us follow Jesus at all instead of being led astray by the multitude of idols that invite our attention and our worship but are actually no gods offering no life. Now, I think it would be useful for Curtis to use all of his Bible nerdery to put together a series of episodes on our backdrop, for example, on how to read the Bible overall you know, key things to understand, key practices that help us do that. He keeps reminding me that we've been surviving a pandemic and trying to parent and that we should maybe at least wait until the kids go back to school. But in the meantime, thinking about that question, what are some of the key ways to read the Bible well? We realized that there was one theme that could be unpacked here as a sermon series. So we're starting this week and we are going to dive in. You see, one of the main barriers, I think, to understanding what's going on in a given passage of scripture, one of the main barriers to seeing how all the pieces of the Bible fit together, is not understanding the mission of God. Now, the term, the mission of God, actually has a very long history. Theologians even like to speak it in Latin because reasons, I guess, and say missio dei instead of mission of God. But What we want to explore here isn't fancy theology. The church has often used the term mission to refer to evangelizing new peoples or nations, often with an uncomfortable dose of colonialism thrown in. Riley will be doing his mission project in his upcoming fourth grade year in California school, for example. But while telling people the good news is certainly part of the mission of God, it is by no means all of it. And then, of course, if you're in the U.S., the word mission is often used to talk about a military mission, And what we're talking about here is very much not that at all. 
So with all those caveats, what do we actually mean when we say the mission of God? What is the not fancy, not colonial, not militaristic thing we're going to spend this series exploring together? We mean simply, or not so simply, I suppose. What is God actually up to? Why does God create the world in the first place? Why does God make Israel God's chosen people? What are the prophets talking about? Why does Jesus show up and then have to die? What's the purpose of it all? What's God's goal? I think there's an answer to that question, even if we can't fully know and understand everything about it. But having that answer and understanding it better does make a lot of confusing things about God in the Bible make a lot more sense. God's goal, the mission that God creates the universe with and has continued to work towards through all of history, is for all things to be in harmony with and reflecting of God's character. God's mission is for all things to be in harmony with and reflecting of God's character. God's a good God, a joyful God, a life-giving God, a powerful God, a loving God, a God of abundance and justice and diversity and sacrifice and relationship and freedom. And God's ultimate desire, the dream, is that all creation would reflect, embody, and be in harmony with those truths about God. That what is true about God would also be true about everything that exists. And so God desires for our lives to reflect God's character, for our workplaces to reflect God's character, for our families to reflect God's character, for the natural world to reflect God's character, for our nations, our cities, our governments, our societal structures to reflect God's character for our churches to reflect God's character. So that's where we're going these next couple months here at Pomona Valley Church. We want to know what God's up to. And ultimately, how does God's mission make sense of the Bible and how we follow Jesus together? So each week, we're going to look at one passage. And as we explore it, we're going to be looking for God's mission at work. We're going to be looking for God's character and how things are brought into harmony with that character or perhaps not at times. We'll start next week at the very, very beginning, which is, of course, a very good place to start when you're looking for God's purpose and mission. And then we want to trace that same mission that all things would be in harmony with and reflecting of God's character through all different parts of the Bible and see the implications of that mission for us now. My hope is that through this series, we'll get some insights both into what God's mission means for us as individuals in our day-to-day lives as parents or students, workers, citizens, and whatever, but also then that we would have insight into God's mission and its meaning for us as a church. What should we do or be as one group of Jesus followers, given what God's ultimate goal is? Because the end goal, of course, will always dictate the path we walk towards the goal. And if we misunderstand what God's up to, it's likely we're going to misunderstand our part to play. So each week we'll look at one passage that sheds light on the mission. 
and hopefully better understand what it is, why it matters for us, and how it helps make the story of scripture one worth coming back to instead of quitting on. Because we want to follow Jesus into the world together. We want this church, as it grows and changes, to be a group that's in harmony with and reflecting of God's character. For us, we've said we'd like to be in harmony by finding ways to joyfully and sustainably live the one another's, neighbor well, and do justice. We think that if we keep practicing openness to God's movement, sacrifice for God's purposes, relationships with each other, authenticity instead of perfectionism or filters, and no diversity that seeks to truly honor God's image in those different than ourselves, well, that would be one great version of being a church in harmony with and reflecting of God's character. That's our hope, our dream, our goal. That's our mission. We want to cultivate lives where all things are in harmony with and reflecting of God's own character. When we were together live, we shared some stories. And this was the question, and so I'm going to offer it to you as well. Can you think of a time you made a change and then you realized, whether it was right away or when you looked back, that that change made you feel more in harmony with God's own character? The change could be big or small. It could be overtly about your spiritual life with God or perhaps very ordinary. But can you think of a time you made a change and you found yourself more in harmony with who God is? That's what we're trying to talk about here. Can we enter the story of scripture again? Can we see how God's mission brings that story to life? And then can we see how we are invited to make changes over time, to join in with that mission and experience our lives in harmony with God's character? May the triune God fill you with grace, hope, peace, and courage so that your life would become more and more in harmony with and reflecting of God's own character. Amen.